Hello, I'm here today with a lovely lady called Lucy Stone, and we've only recently got to know each other. But strangely, Lucy has been a friend of my brother's for a, a long, long time. And Lucy has just brought out a book, and it's about finding as adults what we've kind of lost as children, which is something I'm very interested in. So, um, hello, Lucy, and how do you feel today? Hi, Gareth. Um, thank you for inviting me. Um, how am I feeling? I'm feeling good, actually. I am feeling um, pretty happy. Uh, as you mentioned, um, my book has been out, well, just a few days now. Um, so I'm finally, I'm feeling happy, but I'm also feeling sort of semi-reflective um, and slightly strange, if I can use that word. Um, I'm now beginning to get pictures of people with my book, which I've been writing for the last three years, in their hands, in their homes, on their bookshelves, on their garden tables. And if anyone's ever written a book, or maybe you can imagine what it feels like to have something that's been in your head for three years and, and to, to get that out onto physical paper is, is an enormous effort. Um, but now it's kind of got a life of its own. Uh, it's out in, in the world um, and I have no control <laughs> whose hands it gets into and what people might say about it. Um, so that's a really strange feeling. So I'm very happy. Uh, that my book is out. It was a big achievement for me. Um, and it was something that I felt very passionate and still do feel very passionate about. But now I'm in a slightly, I feel quite vulnerable. Is that the right word? I think it probably is when you're a creative person. And my baby, if you like, is in the hands of people, not only people that I know who are probably, you know, duty bound to be kind. <laughs> now it now it's in the hands of people who can just buy it from that famous website and they could be anywhere and could be anyone. So that's that's how I'm feeling. And three years. So what what led up to that three years then? How how did you, you know, just tell me a little bit about that sort of thing? What? I think the journey goes back even further than that. Um, I I was a journalist. I was a BBC journalist and reporter um, straight out of university for about seven years, and then I went into um, the dark side. We call it. We went into I went into PR um, and comms for for about a decade. Um, and in my late thirties, um, I began to feel sort of unwell. Began to feel anxious. Began to feel overwhelmed had a young son at that time um and I just I didn't have an official burnout but I began to not recognize myself um and began to feel like I was doing nothing very well and I think the more people that I've spoken to about this I think they can a lot of people can can relate to that moment whenever it might be um so that was in my sort of mid late 30s so I made quite a big change um around the age of, sort of 37 I went to India and I retrained as a, a yoga and a, a meditation teacher. Um, and this is where the kind of the beginning of the book journey starts, because then this is sort of six years ago. Um, I began to, once I got back from India, I decided well, I didn't really want to teach adults. There were lots of people doing that. So my calling, if you like, um, in a non-religious, but certainly a, a spiritual way, was to teach children and, and young people. And, and at that time, sort of six years ago, I was one of only a handful of yoga and mindfulness teachers in schools. I think it's really taken off in the last six years, which is brilliant. 
Um, so I began to teach yoga and mindfulness, and particularly mindfulness, um, in primary schools around Bristol and Bath and all over the country, actually, at, at certain points. Um, and in the last six years, I've taught 15,000 children um, mindfulness. So what happened was I began to teach corporates as well in organizations that have been parallel. And of course, in the last six years, that means I've taught before, during and since the pandemic, which has obviously been a, an interesting time for us all. Uh, so three years ago, 2020, uh, just before actually, um, I began to think that, because I was being asked a lot, how on earth do you teach a four-year-old to meditate? This is the question I was asked time and time again by friends, by leaders in the corporate organizations that I was working in. And I began to think, do you know what? They're easy. It's it's the 54-year-old that you've got to ask me the question about. And, and at first I just thought, that's weird. Maybe it's because they're in a school. Maybe they're just sort of being told what to do. So that, you know, the four-year-olds, they just sit there and they do it. But what I started to do is, is to observe them really closely, observe both sets of individuals, actually. The four-year-olds, four to 12 in the primary schools, or 11. Um, and then, you know, people in their late 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whoever, in the organisation. So really senior chief execs, leaders, um, high flyers, who are turning to mindfulness to try and help them. And then one day in the classroom, one day in the boardroom, and it, with every every day, it was easier in the classroom than the boardroom. Um, so I started to write notes, start to observe. Um, and then as I got into research, I discovered something which I believe nobody else has ever actually put these two conclusions together. So when you're practicing mindfulness, you're in a brainwave state called alpha. When you go even a little bit deeper, when you're in the state of flow, which you might experience through sports or through hobby or creative pursuits, you're in a brainwave state called theta, not the cheese, T-H-E-T-A. And then I got the brainwaves of children. So up before 12 years old, about six to 12, children are naturally in alpha. At 12, they go into beta, which is the adult state. And then before six, from around two to six, they're in theta, the state of flow. So no wonder they find it easy. They're already in the brainwave state. That was my sort of light bulb moment. But then I got a bit deeper. So my book is called Find Your Wow. And children, if you've got, I know you've got children in your life around you, Gareth, and I'm sure people listening, even if you haven't got your own children, you'll have experienced them at some point. Children are brilliant at saying, wow, they say it all day, every day, lots of times per day. The younger that you are, the more times you'll say it. I don't know, Gareth, but um, about you, and maybe I'm preaching to the converted. I've got a feeling I might be. But in adulthood, we don't say wow very often. Um, and wow stands for a lot of things, not just the word. It stands for that you've been open, you're open-minded to learn. You're, you've got awe and wonder. You've got creativity. You're tr up for trying things and making mistakes and failing potentially, and then achieving things that you didn't think you can do and say, wow, didn't I could do that. And that word, wow, stands for so many things. And children have wow. And I think in adulthood, 
most of us have lost well at some point, if not right now. And this book is about how we can find wow again, just as we did as we were children. And I've developed five steps to refine wow. So that's 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 the journey. There's two things I, I wanted to ask you from that. Um, the first one is, I say wow all the time, right? Now, I don't know if that fits in with what you're talking about, <laughs> but I wonder if when people stop saying that, do you think that's to do with becoming more self-conscious as you grow older and therefore not wanting to appear as if you don't know things or don't understand things? Because I've never really minded asking probably way too many questions, but I, I don't know if that um, signifies that or not. So that's the one thing I wanted to ask. But the other thing I wanted to ask you is um, I've always wished that, well, not wished, but it would have been brilliant if what I've learned out of necessity from about late 40s to now 51, I always think what a different life I might have had if um, I'd been exposed to this stuff as a kid. Because even though it might come naturally as a kid, you do kind of unlearn it. or It's not even unlearn it, is it? Because it comes naturally and then you forget or you change or whatever. But I'd love to know how some of those children who were in the zone that you talked about that were easy to teach, have you met any of those six years on? And have you noticed that maybe their lives are slightly different compared to children that haven't been taught these things? So those are two questions. Sorry, I should have asked you them one at a time. And we That's just okay. Remind me if I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go for the first one first. So um, what you're talking about there is ego. Um, and what I mean by ego is not having a big ego and being a big head. Um, what we get as we get older um, is a uh, that inner voice. I think that's the best way to describe it. Inner critic as as well. Children don't have that. Ask ask a little one what you wanted to be, what you want to be when you grow up. They're probably going to say a pop star or an astronaut or a footballer prime minister they're not very often going to say auditor or management accountant no. <laughs> so although we need thank you to all the auditors and management accountants out there we need you but when you were little you probably didn't want to be that and that's the best example of just having no inhibitions having unlimited hopes and dreams um and absolutely yeah um not being afraid to make mistakes in the chat in the book there's a chapter about the 15 things that I kind of observed first before I then moved on to discovering wow and one of the 15 things is that children are not frightened of the red pen they're used to it every day a number of times a day they'll get a little tick or cross on things it's day in day out can you imagine if if now when we're in work our boss or our clients or whoever around us or even our family, when we give them a, 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 a meal cooked on the table, if we got a mark out of 10 or a, a red tick or a cross, we'd, we'd probably, because in, in adulthood, we take that feedback as being a negative thing. We probably get a bit down, but children are just like, oh, fine, move on to the next thing. You know, they're just so, they've got so much to learn. Okay, occasionally they might get upset because they really tried hard and they didn't get the grade they wanted to get. But, Norm, it's just part of life. 
Um, and so there's a whole chapter of the book around ego and trying to let go of ego. If you know anything about the state of flow, you can't be in it if your inner critic is, is talking to you. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. If you're skiing down a mountain, you can't have, oh, I'm not sure if I can do this turn. You're going to crash. You've just got to go with it. You've got to immerse yourself. You've got to feel it. And you've got to go for it. So that's the first thing. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. As adults, we tend to listen to that inner critic children don't have it yet uh, aristotle says show me um i always need to get this right show me an eight-year-old boy and i'll show you a man and what he's saying by that is that at around the golden age of eight when I mean, that is a golden age is a whole chapter on why they are the masters of wow what, I, what he's saying is that that's the truest version of, of you as a person is when you're eight years old there or thereabouts after that You start to be influenced by your peers, influenced by society. If you ask a 15, 16, 17-year-old what they want to do, not many of them are going to say astronaut or pop star or prime minister. They're going to have started to have picked their courses, their GCSE, A-levels, and got their kind of blinkers on a little bit. They might still have some good dreams. That's good. We've got to keep them as long as possible. But they're beginning to be kind of marked and guided by what's around them, you know, where they live and society. So that's question one. Question two. Yeah, that's interesting because my son is 15. So sadly or brilliantly for him, he has this in his life all, all the time. He's doing his mock GCSEs, he's got his GCSEs next year. He's one of a few, you know, only a few people who 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 he knows practices mindfulness. And he's he says that it's helped him calm down. It's helped him get a sense of perspective. Certainly during lockdown and everything, we were doing it, you know, together. But aside from him, I'm now bumping into parents. So if you can imagine, so six years ago, I was teaching sort of eight-year-olds. They're now kind of, or even a bit older, they're now doing their GCSEs. I've had parents buying the book for their teens because they're they they know me for for six years and I and many many of them are saying they're still practicing those breathing techniques, those body scans to get to sleep, those creative sort of m- mindfulness happy place my meditations that I did with them when they're feeling down. So I know for a fact that they carry on doing it. I can't say too too much that I know it's changed their life, um, but I'm sure it's helped. Um, and I'm like you. I wish I'd learned this um it at school I I really do I think it's one of the most valuable life skills um that you can ever learn I mean I didn't learn till 19 I was at uni when I started so I've been practicing you know over 20 years on and off now um and certainly it's helped me through I mean ironically the time when I stopped when I was busy at work and had a young son was when I had that kind of semi-burnout so for me it's almost like an antihistamine. If I don't take it, I'm going to get hay fever. If I don't practice mindfulness, I'm going to get stressed. Whereas if I just take it, do it every day, 10 minutes, then I just can just cope with life a lot better. The funny thing is, um, well, anyway, uh, sorry, back to the, the children thing. I guess as well, even if, there's, say there was a generation of people who were more self-aware than the generation before, that's good for everybody, isn't it? It's good for society, it's good for everything. But um, in terms of like a sort of formal practice, and 
you know, I'm not saying I know a lot about this. It's just that it's helped me no end and I've read no end. And it's, I think I explained when we had a chat the other day, it seems to just kick in of its own accord now. And the more I'm kind of mind, <laughs> even the word mindful, right? The more mindful I am of that, the more it kind of perpetuates itself. It's a bit like a flywheel. So I've got friends who meditate as a kind of formal practice, but they also say the same thing that, it just pops in to their head wherever they are. Like, for instance, if you get angry or stressed or something, often you'll see that and there'll be that little gap which will allow you to make a conscious choice of either breathing to calm it down or going with it, <laughs> whichever <laughs> is in the moment. But do you agree that it just sort of permeates your life generally the more and more you practice and therefore the benefits then become almost as if your life is changing as a consequence and it's a more self-aware life, basically a more conscious life. Would you agree with that? hundred percent, hundred percent. I think the biggest difference for me now practicing mindfulness, as long as I have is, is to respond, not react. So that there's a slight difference in those two words. So if something happens, I'm going to consider my response rather than just suddenly react to it and feel out of control. Um, and I think as well, because I'm more aware, I'm checking in with myself every day. I'm not going to say every single day, 98% of days I, I meditate for, for at least 10 minutes. Um, and sometimes twice a day, once in the morning, once in the night. And that little check-in is not only a kind of dedication that I'm giving myself that time to do nothing else. Um, it's also allowing me to spot patterns that might be happening. I've, I've got to know myself better. Certainly in the last few years, um, I can see when I'm beginning to have unhelpful thoughts or that imposter syndrome thing that we all get sometimes. Um, if I'm beginning to get like losing all sense of perspective. If there's something in my life that really isn't that important, but it's taking over in the past, that would have taken over. Now I have a little word with myself and go, come on, Luce, that's, mm. that's nothing. Have some gratitude for what you've got, you know, smell the roses, literally. And yeah, I'm, I'm just a lot healthier in, in my mind. Um, and that's, and that's such a gift. You know, I, I work with people who, you know, sadly have really, really bad anxiety or mental health issues or depression. Um, and I've suffered and I had postnatal depression um, and I'm currently going through the perimenopause so I can feel when anxiety is, is building. Um, and I'm just able to put a lid on it. And, I, and I'm not saying put a lid on it and ignore it, but I feel like mindfulness gets to the root of it. I think we've talked about this in our little chat. Sometimes you might feel like you're given something from the doctor or whatever it is. And, and that's whatever works for you works for you. And, I, and you must listen to what, what works for you. But for me personally, mindfulness helps me get to the root of these things. Um, and that just enables me to have that kind of healthy and, and, and balanced life. I mean, it's a roller coaster life, isn't it? So it, I'm never going to say that it's perfect all the time. Of course it isn't, but I feel like I've I've got control over what's going on and, and I'm going to have good days and I'm going to have bad days and that's okay. No, exactly. We're all human. And um, 
the thing I really like as well is that it definitely, the more it kicks in of its own accord, the more you are in the moment. And that mm-hmm. can only be healthy, you know. I, I've noticed in myself um, less anticipate in the future and therefore less catastrophizing, yeah. less ruin the past, all of those things. And they all go hand in hand, don't they? Um, and the really exciting thing is, so uh, in researching for the book, there's a chapter called The New Wow Order. And this is about if we go and sort of connect and 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 you know find wow and one of the five pillars of wow so i mentioned ego um already but just to go through those five pillars then so the first one is about mindfulness so you stop you start at mindfulness if you can imagine the letter w this is where we're going for the five steps so starting at the top you've got mindfulness and then the first killer of mindfulness is distraction so we know we both did this before the call. We both turned our phone, our notifications off, you know, but we both had to turn the notifications off. So which means most of the time we have them on. So um, down we go to distraction. Um, but with mindfulness, you've got to try and keep focus. So if you push through that, the next high point of wow is flow, which I've already mentioned. So you go from mindfulness, you push through distraction, you get to flow. Then the next killer of wow is ego, which is what you've already touched on. So that's the next valley of or killer of wow. And then if you push through again, then you're going to find wow. So there's your W shape. Um, but what I found by researching for the book for the in the chapter called New Wow Order is if we find wow, and I guess it applies for just if we're mindful, then that can have a ripple effect on others. So if we're calm in the post office queue when everyone around us is kicking off, then that calm, I don't want to use the word energy because I'm not particularly hippie in that way, but that kind of vibe is going to radiate through the queue. We're not going to add to it. And it's the same with wow. There are three things, and they're mentioned in the book, the three things that if we find wow, how we can help others, even if we don't know them. The first one is called mirror neurons. So it's been found in research that when someone is doing something so if if I'm watching a drummer on the stage and he's in flow and I'm immersed and I'm watching him really cl- closely that my neurons are now beginning to sync with his neurons so it's almost like I'm the drummer so I'm feeling that goosebump moment that energy that that brilliance so that's the first thing mirror neurons the second thing is collective effervescence now this is if you're in a crowd whether you're at a concert or a sporting event or a protest, the crowd begins to have that sort of shared feeling. And you've probably experienced that yourself. You, you, know, you wonder, why am I jumping up and down when everybody else is? Because you're kind of becoming one. And the third one is vicarious joy. So when you're um, empathetic and you are in touch with, with your emotions and you're aware, for example, if I give you a present and I, and I watch you open it, and you're smiling and you're happy, then I'm going to receive those feelings too, vicariously. And that's called vicarious joy. So I talk in the book about how if we all find wow on our own, making ourselves happy, relaxed, creative, then that will have a ripple effect onto others. And I find that so powerful. You know, you don't even have to know the person. So I just think that's a really amazing 
thing we can do as humans that we kind of, if we find wow ourselves, we can share it with others. Hmm. I've, I've got a fantastic book, The Complete Guide to Mindfulness, I think it's called. I won't get, that's wrong, right? That's the wrong title. And it's written by a, a Burmese monk. And I'm only scratching the surface with all this stuff, but he gives this example of um, one of his little mindfulness exercises. He's in an airport and he's sitting there and he's going through, you know, first of all, love for yourself, then the people around you, then people perhaps you don't know, people you don't like even, you know, the sort of meditation I mean. Loving kindness, yeah. Yeah, and he's sitting there and he gives this little anecdote of uh, a young girl just comes up to him and hugs him and he said it's because as a youngster, you're more open to picking up all this stuff. And it kind of joins up a lot of what you've been talking about, really, that anecdote. And I'm, I'm doing it terribly. I've got the anecdote almost wrong, right? But the essence of it is he's practicing this. He's stuck in an airport and this girl comes up to him, this young girl, and she can't mm-hmm. stop hugging him. And every time her parents mm-hmm. take her away, she runs back to this fella. So mm-hmm. she's clearly picking up what this chap is exuding. Yeah. So I fully believe everything you're saying um it's it's so funny you say that in the book in the 15 things chapter and this is actually i we should say that yeah i mentioned your app oh yeah i forgot about that (laughs) yeah because actually what you what you've um just mentioned is is it is the part of the book which mentions your app so one of the 15 reasons that children are, are better at finding well and better at mindfulness than us is because they show love unconditionally and they're more in touch with their emotions i tell the story in the book is what i used to teach the yoga sort of the mindfulness and, and yoga on yoga mats and i'd finished the class i think they were around six or seven years old 30 of them which i taught it in a big circle of yoga mats their teacher's taking them out of the class. I've turned my back and I'm rolling up a yoga mat. And then suddenly I get a dunk around my my right legs. Yeah. And I think yeah. I'm being rugby tackled. And then not just one, dunk, 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 dunk. Yeah. Probably around 10 of them come and latch on and give me a big hug. And they say, Lucy. Brilliant. And, and, and that became a thing. I'd be going down the corridor and you'd hear, Lucy. And then you do dunk, and you wait for the tsunami of, of hugs. Um, and that's so I mentioned that in this chapter. And then I say, and a way that adults can reconnect with their emotions is through your app. So that was a beautifully unplanned um anecdote. Yeah, from your wow. point. I'd honestly forgotten <laughs> that you'd even mentioned it in the book in this chat now. So it's it's so strange that I mentioned that, which made you mention that. Yeah. It's been it's been great to chat, Lucy. Um, and we'll definitely do it again. But our time is coming to an end. Um, is there anything you'd like to leave us with? Well, I think what it is, is is try and think back to what you loved as a child. And, and you and I were having a quick chat about that. And you mentioned bird watching. Um, and for me, I was a dancer at, at school, just doing, I was a theatre theatre kind of show kid. Um, and I love to dance even now, just around my, my kitchen. I've got a disco ball in my kitchen. So whenever I'm cooking tea or got the music on, and, and your brother will testify that I've uh, danced more than once in a festival field near him. Um, so I think just if I can leave you with one thing, you know, if ever if you're feeling a bit lacking in wow and and the world is wonderful and i use double l on that it's full of wonder there's loads of tips of how you can find wow 
um, and there's sort of keep this sort of secret places that we all know where we can find it. So have a look at that. But just think back, if you can, to to what you love doing as a child, and maybe just try and do a little bit more of that. Even if you feel silly, even if you think someone's going to say something about about that don't care you didn't care when you were a kid so just try and reconnect with that little you um and try and find some wow every day no i couldn't agree more i absolutely couldn't and the the weirdest thing of all is i've had that conversation at least three times this week with three different people all in the 50s yeah and well yeah but also inadvertently they've started doing things that they used to do when they were young and it seems simpler, happier. It's almost like, why did we stop? Yeah, and I know you touched on why, but um, yeah, silly, really, why we do stop. Anyway, it's been great to have a chat, Lucy. Thanks, we'll do it again Sarah. too. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. Bye.